0: Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Enger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, New York Times best-selling author Gretchen Rubin joins us to discuss bringing attention to our senses in order to deepen our experience of the world. Welcome to the show, Gretchen. Fantastic to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. I am really excited. You are a writer, you're a podcaster, and you've actually been a um an answer on the Jeopardy Game Show, which to me is like <laughs> the highest accolade ever. Oh, me too. <laughs> Believe me. That was uh
1: that was quite that was quite a day when that happened.
0: So before we get into talking about the subject that you're writing about lately why don't you just give us a brief intro, kind of an overview about the kinds of things that you like to write and speak about?
1: Yes. um, For more than a decade, I've been writing and researching, and as you say, podcasting on my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, um, and engaging with people really about the subject of happiness and human nature. So I'm interested in why do we do what we do? How can we change if we want to change? Why do we frustrate ourselves sometimes or puzzle ourselves? Or why do other people frustrate us or puzzle us? So I'm always trying to understand a human nature and really how we can have as much happiness as we can, given our circumstances and our nature. I started with my book, The Happiness Project, and the subject is so fascinating that I've just gone deeper and deeper and deeper ever since.
0: What led you then to start thinking about the senses, which is, I understand you're kind of really into that lately and you're writing a book about that. So how did you come on that and decide to do that?
1: I was having an experience, and I think it's it's not uncommon, of having a feeling of sort of being both absent-minded and absent-bodied. I would go through an experience and feel like I hardly remembered what happened. You know, I would eat food without remembering it. I was like hyper-stimulated with everything being very, very intense and processed and um, heightened, but at the same time, kind of feeling thin. And this, I became interested in the five senses before the pandemic period, but of course, that also kind of shined a spotlight on things in ways that I hadn't predicted, like the way I have always been very, like a huge fan of the sense of smell. Like, I love the sense of smell, but for many people, they sort of took it for granted, and and oh boy, when that became a symptom of COVID, people realized I talked to so many people who had fortunately, temporarily lost their senses of smell and like how that changed their understanding of their environment. So I became very interested in how to turn to the five senses for a greater sense of vitality, uh, of appreciation for the ordinary moment, um, and also to engage with other people because we often do uh, engage with other people through our five senses. In fact, that was one thing that surprised me. I hadn't real, I mean, you know, like, oh, yeah, we all get together for a meal, but I hadn't realized what an opportunity there is to think about well, how could I take a particular sense and organize an experience around it that would help me draw closer to others?
0: For our audience, and uh, it's primarily people who are losing their vision or who have lost vision. One thing that happens a lot when somebody hears, oh, you're losing your vision or you lost your vision, there's this immediate um, sense of everything is so much better now for your other senses. Like you could hear a rabbit breathing from six miles away or whatever. And it's almost this uh, expectation that the other senses become superhuman. And I'm just curious, has there been research or like any hypotheses about what really does happen? Well, it seems to be
1: very much the case that the brain does start to rewire and it will start to use parts of the brain differently if one sense is not processing information and that that sort of brain power isn't needed it will it will use that it will start the circuitry will start to change to try to make use of that kind of that resource but this idea that you get superhuman abilities you know like like the rabbit breathing six miles away no that doesn't happen but it is very true that people start to focus on it more and to recruit those senses maybe in a way that others do not need to so for instance since people who have vision loss may become more aware of how sound bounces off of surfaces in order to help them be aware that maybe there's something blocking their path. This is something that sighted people could perhaps do, but they don't draw upon that ability.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an interesting theme, right, is that we could all do it, but we don't necessarily pay attention to what we could do. Absolutely. And I think you've put your finger right on it.
1: It's that these these capacities are within our reach. But and I certainly felt this to be the case for myself, but I sort of didn't bother to try to tap into them or to try to explore their reaches or to see what I could do um, or even to just enjoy them kind of on the ordinary course of life because I just was you know, not paying attention. So I, I think you're exactly right that there's a lot more sensation that we can experience once we start paying attention to what our senses could offer us.
0: So how would somebody go about doing that then? So if we understand that, okay, we would experience things so much differently and maybe so much in a more rich way, if we paid attention to the senses, how then do we go about actually doing that? Because I don't know that it comes naturally. That's
1: a really interesting question. Of course, that was like sort of central to my book. And there were a couple of things that I found. One is just turning your attention to it and really trying to say to yourself, um, I really want to pay attention to the things that I hear. And sometimes people, the one way to do that is to sort of stop periodically and really say, well, what do I hear? One of the things that's fascinating about the brain is it's trying to help us by filtering out things that it thinks that we don't need to know or don't interest us. So for instance, I was doing a podcast interview in my apartment, I live in New York city. And all of a sudden the interviewer said, okay, let's pause for a minute then. And I said, why? And she said, don't you hear that? And I said, what? And then all of a sudden I heard that there was a loud siren going right past my door. And my brain had just filtered that out. I didn't need to hear that. And she said to me, oh, if you're in Los Angeles, people don't hear the helicopters because that's what they don't need to hear. Uh, So part of it is trying to train or, you know, what am I hearing right now? What am I smelling right now? I'm walking outside of my house. What do I smell? I smell leaves. I smell dirt. I smell, you know, did somebody just walk by? And so I'm, you know, I live in New York City, so I smell cigarette smoke, trash day. I know when it's Wednesday morning because it's trash day. Another thing that I think is really interesting, and I'm sort of trying to figure out how, how idiosyncratic I am is for me, I realized I had certain senses that I was very attuned to. Like I mentioned that I was, I've always been very attuned to smell. I love smell. I like even bad smells. I'm very interested in even bad smells. I care a lot about smells, but then there were other things that I didn't pay as much attention to. I'm not a very hearing focused person. So there are people who, you know, spend hours and hours listening to music and they love it. And that really wasn't me. And so part of it was trying to bring more attention to the, my background senses to try to, to find ways. Once I realized that, I thought, well, what can I do to bring more pleasure and more attention to my sense of hearing? And I did get a lot more pleasure and attention once I started looking for ways to amplify that. And you think, oh, how do I not know myself, right? I just hang out with myself all day. I didn't realize how touch focused I was until I really started thinking about it. I began th- realizing, wow, I really care a lot about how things feel and I really am curious and I'm always kind of sneaking out my fingers to touch things. When I go to a museum, it's really hard for me to resist rubbing certain sculptures because I'm like, Oh, I just want to feel that cool marble. I just, what does that feel like? And so I realized that I actually did love the sense of touch much more than I even had been consciously aware of. So I think sometimes by saying to yourself like, How can I tap more into the things I love and how can I find new ways to tap into things that I maybe I kind of ignore or don't pay as much attention to as I could and see if I could bring those more into the foreground.
0: I love that. And especially the point about how we all have senses that we naturally pay more attention to just as part of our own personalities or what we're into. I had never thought either about sitting back and I know what my senses are, but do I really pay attention to how much I do certain things? Like I was sitting here kind of touching my sweater just as a matter of course and realized, oh, I'm doing that. Yes.
1: Oh, but then I started talking to a friend of mine. I was like, well, how do you feel about Silky? He hates Silky. How do you feel about being immersed in water? Doesn't like to be immersed in water. How does he feel about plushiness? Loves plushy. He's like a thin robe is no robe at all. And, and we like got so into it, you know, but it's just something that you don't think about to talk about. I'm not that interested in flavor and taste. And this is something that many people like really want to talk about. And I mean, sure, I like something that tastes good. But when I think about people who are like super curious to go to a new restaurant or love new cuisines or new recipes or dying to try, like if they hear about an ingredient they've never tried, they're really curious. Or if they see a movie and people are eating food, they want to eat it themselves or they, you know, they read a book and people are talking about, you know, something that they've never tried. They really want to try it. Yeah, that doesn't really happen to me. And other people are like, are you kidding? I thought this was just like a basic part of human nature.
0: I'm like, no, yeah, not so much for me. So we all use our senses just as we communicate with each other one thing that can happen though is people are losing their vision they're let's say they're really accustomed to looking at the facial expressions or these these really subtle bits of body language and suddenly those things are gone they can feel like oh i am missing so many social cues you know that can be overwhelming and kind of nerve-wracking but I guess we don't just communicate non-verbally, right? So what are some other things that people can pay attention to, to feel those connections still, even without the facial expressions and and body language?
1: Well, that's true. That is a big loss because the face is kind of a user interface. And we do gaze into people's faces to try to like, even things like, what are they looking at? You know, a lot of times, if you know what someone's looking at, that tells you what they're interested in It can kind of give you an insight into their thoughts. And so, of course, it is is a real challenge not to have those cues available to you. Now, fortunately, people's voices also contain a huge amount of information, much more often than we're aware of, like even um, with strangers or even with just a few words, we can get really good insight into someone, whether someone's sick, whether they're drunk, how educated they are, you know, sometimes with regional accents, you can tell where they're coming from. There's a lot of information that can come from that. And also just with intonation, you know, how quickly people are speaking, how dramatically they're speaking. My mother was saying how she when she was what she was watching TV and it was a foreign television show. And so she couldn't understand what they were saying. So she had the subtitles on. But she said that the funny thing was is that she had to adjust the volume just as if she were listening to their voices because she said like, if she couldn't hear what they were saying, just knowing the words that they were saying didn't give her any insight into what was actually happening. So if you read a book, it's sort of like, He whispered, she said angrily, like you have all these cues, but if you just see the words on the page, even if you see the people's faces and their body movements, are they laughing? Are they joking? Are they angry? Is there tension? You really don't know unless you hear their voices, even if that information the language doesn't have meaning to you, the human connection part of it, you can tap into. And so hearing what people are saying does convey a lot of information that can help you make sense of their thoughts and their intentions
0: and give a lot of clues even beyond the content of what their actual words hold. One thing I've noticed you and I have in common is that we're both smell oriented and oh good you're smell oriented too okay yes, very much so like I was thinking about this I read one of your blog posts and I was like, oh that is so true you know I could walk into a room and smell like Ralph Lauren Polo and go, oh it smells like 1990 and suddenly be transported back into this period of my life. Can you talk a little about, And maybe it's not just smell, maybe other senses too. How are they responsible for triggering memory?
1: Well, this is one of the most fascinating aspects of, of the senses is how they do tie us to on um, the people, the places, and the times that we love. And claims are often made for smell that smells the most intense or the creates the most emotion. And I have to say that I'm a little dubious of that. Like not that I would diminish smell, which I think is very powerful in, in invoking memories, but I think that the other senses also can invoke memories. So like if I said, if I smelled my kindergarten classroom or I ate what I ate for lunch in kindergarten, I think they would both evoke a lot of memories for me. I think all the senses have this power to evoke memories. And it is really fun to kind of systematically ask yourself, you know, how you can tap into memories, um, sensory memories, to conjure up a lost time. So, for instance, one thing that I did is I did a taste timeline. So I went back to my childhood, my daughter's childhood, my college days, law school, my first years of being married, and then kind of today and thought about, well, what were the kind of typical things that I ate then that I don't, you know, that were sort of of that period. And it was like when I was in law school, I drank Diet Peach Snapple all the time because my law school cafeteria didn't have any sort of standard soft drink. So that was my favorite. And boy, I went out and bought myself a bottle of Diet Peach Snapple, and it came back to me with a rush, just like that law school feeling. Or I called my sister, and this is how we can use senses to engage our memories and then also to engage with other people. I called my sister because, of course, she she goes back almost the whole way with me. And I said, what did we eat as kids? Do you remember? And she's like, "Oh yeah. I remember how we used to always eat that like Colby longhorn cheese that came in the wax. I was like, oh yeah. Or like we'd always get Cheez-Its on our, we would go visit our grandparents in North Platte, Nebraska. And she said, remember how we always get Cheez-Its for the car? I was like, oh, I forgot about the Cheez-Its on the car rides. I think you can try to paint a sense portrait of somebody. Like think about, well, like you and I both love the sense of touch. What senses of touch, like with my husband, his hair is kind of very bristly on the top of his head or the feeling of his back, you know, when he's asleep at night, you know, what are the, like paint a portrait of someone? What are the, what smells do you associate with somebody? I mean, th- their own smell, but then also like the smell of their shampoo or their, their toothpaste or their laundry detergent, or, you know, your dog smell, you know, they have all kinds of smells. Some good, some not so good. So I think we really can use the five senses as a way to access memories that maybe we've forgotten that we remember, you know, a lot of times there's a lot more there.
0: We just don't go hunting for it in our memory banks. That's fascinating. And it, maybe in part explains why people are so nostalgic about stacks uh, snacks or foods that are gone. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there's
1: this thing I saw where you can order, it's like nostalgic candy and you can order like 1950s candy, 1960s candy, 1970s candy. And you just see the labels. And you th- so I was just looking up cherry mash. A friend of mine was saying how he liked cherry mash it was very old fashioned candy and just seeing a picture of it. I mean, I wasn't even tasting it. I was just seeing a picture of the packaging and I was like, <gasps> filled with nostalgia for being in the grocery store when I was little and seeing it, you know, in the aisles. I think people do feel very nostalgic for the things that they ate at different times of their lives. Or tasted or smelled or heard or thought. I mean, music. Think about the music of the music you listen to, you know, as a kid in the car or, you know, or that your parents listen to. My parents, my father loved listening to the mamas and the papas and the beach boys. Whenever I hear that music, I'm taken back to my childhood, just the way certain kinds of music takes me back to college or children's music takes me back to when my kids were really little and I was, you know, listening to the wiggles or whatever.
0: Yeah. I think there's so much that we don't, think about consciously, but then as we're talking about it, it's this, oh yeah, well, of course it seems like a thing that, well, why haven't I been paying attention to that before? And it's not maybe so difficult to then sit back and think about how can I bring more attention to what my senses are telling me. So as we're kind of wrapping up, you've done a lot of research. I know your book is not out yet, so you can't necessarily give spoiler alerts. What the most surprising thing that you discovered in your research, what just kind of blew you away? Like I never thought about that. Well, so many, just so many facts
1: about the body for one thing. I mean, the body is so extraordinary. Of course we all know, Oh, the body is so amazing. But I was like, wow, the body is so amazing. It is extraordinary that the powers of our bodies But I think the thing that surprised me most really was this way that I could tap into the five senses to really engage with other people. Because when I started this, I really thought about it as me being my own body, moving through the world and wanting to engage with the world more deeply. What I found is that it actually ended up making me engage with other people more deeply. I did this thing just the other night with some friends. I I had two couples over, my husband and I. I arranged because I had gone to flavor university and they would give us samples like here are three kinds of chips, let's taste them and compare them or like here's skim milk 2% milk whole milk and cream let's and oat milk let's compare and contrast or everybody had such a fun time. Like we were laughing and talking and reminiscing. And it brought up a whole different way for us to engage with each other. I felt like I got to know people in in, in a completely different way, even though these were friends that I'd had for years. It's just like, it got us talking about something in a very different way. And it was very fun and low stakes. It wasn't like, oh, now we're going to play competitive, trivial pursuit or something like this was just like, what do you think of this potato chip? And it's like, I think this is a pretty good ship. And some people will be like, I think this is too salty, but for some reason this is fascinating, right? Or like I stunned everybody. I was like, what is this mysterious liquid? And I was like, what is what is this? It's Red Bull. A lot of people had never tried Red Bull, which of course is a hugely popular beverage, but it's like, so this is what Red Bull Red Bull tastes like. I I did not know that. I gave them all a taste of ketchup because ketchup has all five tastes. Sweet, salty, sour, Umami and bitter, yeah, it's got a little bit of everything. And people were like, "This is amazing!" Like, there's a reason everybody loves ketchup. This stuff, they were like, "It's so complex." I was just very surprised that something as simple as sitting around talking about ketchup could be this actually feel like a really meaningful way to engage with people, but in, in, but something that was a little different, you know, a little bit unexpected, a little bit surprising. I just hadn't foreseen that at all when I when I kind of was, I was looking ahead to writing the book. I didn't imagine myself doing anything like that. So it's sort of been interesting that over the course of the of the research, I've been more and more drawn into um, those kinds of exercises and seeing the value in, in that kind of thing in terms of enriching our lives.
0: That is so cool. Our senses as just this amazing way to bring us all together. I love it. So as people are listening to this and saying, where can I learn more about what Gretchen does? I want to read all the blog posts, all the books and listen to everything. Where can people go to find out what's going on with you and uh, what you have done and what you will be doing?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where every week I talk about, you know, kind of concrete, manageable ideas about how to be happier, healthier, more productive and more creative. I also have written many books, which are available in print and in audio, almost all my books, I think, except for maybe my first book, they're all available in audio. And except for one, I narrated them all myself. And then I'm online at GretchenRubin.com. And that's sort of a clearinghouse for everything that I've got. I've got I've got a lot of stuff, um, but it's all gathered there.
0: Excellent. And we'll have that in our show notes. And Gretchen, I want to thank you. This has been so much fun just chatting about our senses and really how much more they give to us than we think about. Absolutely. Oh, I so enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P O D C A S T at Hadley.edu or leave us a message at 847 784 2870. Thanks for listening.